Man, I'm really getting tired of these subspace shards. Let's see if maybe we can uh, redirect this tachyon flow. And... Ah, hey, uh, Peter, P Peter. Oh, Joe, man. What, I, I thought you were still supposed to be on duty, man. What are you doing down here? Listen, I, I, I got, I got something. I, I really got to tell you, dude. Well, hold I, on, it's, man. It's, I'm, I'm getting off in like five minutes. You want to swing down by ten forward? We can grab some synthol. It, it cannot wait. It cannot wait. This is, this is, this is some real shit, man. I'm, the, I'm, I don't. Can you lock it down in here? I don't want anyone else to hear this. This is some fucking real shit, dude. This is fucking, this is fucking hardcore. I, I, I need some help. I need you. I need your help. I need it right now. Did you sleep with one of the Delaney sisters without a condom? No, dude, dude, I'm not fucking around with you, man. This is serious. This is a hundred percent legit. Like, some, I'm, just, I'm freaking out. I'm freaking out. I'm yeah, freaking I out. Tell. I need you. Never acted like this before, Joe. What is it? Okay. I know this. This is gonna sound crazy, but I'm, I'm from another dimension i'm like from another parallel timeline or something the world's not right like everything is is similar but not real it's not my real rea reality it's it i i i don't know i don't know what to do man i need to find a way back <sighs> uh wh where's the crazy part the, the crazy part's from from parallel fucking dimension dude what, what are your panties all wound up in a bunch about here exactly that I'm, I'm displaced in the time space continuum and 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 that motherfucker that's what's up you're pitching this to me like it's it's something that i mean the way you're talking where's the crazy part is there are you leaving something out you just are you're not concerned at, at all are you i mean obviously i i assume you are look, look man i i don't know where you think you're from or where you think you're at but this is star trek reality oh okay no big deal this is like a Tuesday. The last time this happened, the Joe that got body swapped in here, he ate dog. All right. And that stuff really stunk. And it took me a good two months to shake, uh, shake people out of thinking that was the real Joe. So um, is there, do you got anything weird? You got like eight fingers or I mean, the one guy. Had you, know, you know what, dude? Um, is there like a number I can call? Uh, I'll just. I'll just get this wrapped up. Okay, good. So so you're not a complete idiot then in your dimension, and you guys have that whole part of Starfleet that's dedicated just to dealing with this bullshit. Because, I mean, I don't know where you're from, but around here in the Star Trek universe, like, one out of four people gets bounced into another body. Um, yeah, you see that big number in red on the refrigerator over there? Yeah. That's the uh, temporal alternate reality uh, hotline, and you just call that, and like I said, they'll, they'll get you sorted out. So chill out it's no big deal we handle this stuff on like an hourly basis around here everybody here is a reasonable enlightened scientist in a, a post-scarcity society with nothing to worry about so i believe everything you're saying and we'll get this fixed and before you know it you'll be back to your maybe dog eating dimension and uh real joe and i'll swing by and get some drinks you know um, we really wrap this plot up very Nice and tight, didn't we? It's Star Trek, Joe. That's what we're here for. Welcome to V'ger, please, everybody. 
My name is Joseph. I'm Peter. Peter, um, I don't know about you, man, but we gotta stop recording this shit on on school nights because uh, I'm gonna need to start drinking if we're gonna keep getting episodes like this. I'm gonna need alcohol to cope. I'm gonna confine you right off the bat. I really enjoyed watching this episode. I enjoyed watching it for all the V'ger please reasons, whereas that last goddamn thing we sat through was just a miserable fun killer. This one was just so bad that I got two solid pages of notes here. I cannot wait to jump into this cornucopia of low-hanging fruit. Uh, I, I completely agree with what you said. I just feel like alcohol would have enhanced the experience of watching something that's bad, good bad instead of just bad bad. Uh, it was refreshing in a way to be able to pause this episode and be able to make fun of it rather than wallow in the misery of the experience. So that's definitely an improvement. I, For me, the, the Voyager thing is shaping up into episodes that are a waste of time. But there's some pretty cool thought process and there's some neat world building and, and environment fleshing out. And then there's just the bad episodes that, you know, like the, the last, uh, the Hallmark episode that are just terrible bottle episodes. They don't bring anything new. They don't provoke any real thoughts. And uh, they're a drag. This ha- for Voyager, especially, you know, some of the insights into Starfleet, pretty exciting to think about. And, uh, very, very easy to kick between the legs. Let's start right away, shall we? Yes. So here we are. It's season two, episode five, non sequitur. I want to say something before we go forward. I apologize for how boring and depressing our last episode may have been. <laughs> I'm going to make it up to you. I am. I'm fucking pumped about this thing. And for all of you guys out there driving on your way to work or whatever, get ready for fun. Because I got just poop all over my mouth and hands from the shit sandwich this episode was, and I, I'm ready to share. So. Well, they certainly they don't wait to to really introduce us to some uh, some real tone setting uh, cheese uh, because we get uh, Harry Kim waking up, uh, you know, on that the softest of the soft focused lens on his California king bed. Stop you right there, Joe. I'm gonna stop you right there. That close up on his face. I'm a Star Trek fan, Joe. I'm paying attention. I'm taking notes. I'm living in the nitty gritty, terrible detail places that the writers don't want to think about. Right off the bat, I pause things. I pause these episodes and I let the first frame sink in. I pause it. I said, who is this human being laying in bed? Where is the robot wearing a face mask that I know to be the real Harry Kim? Laying there rigid like a board. Let's say that's bored, not Borg. Rigid like a board, hands open palm at his side with a fucking face mask on. Already I know something's afoot. Continue. <laughs> and he finds himself awakened next to a woman that I could only call Eyebrows McNinety's chick. The <laughs> eyebrows on this woman were sentient. They were they were on search for intelligent life from another planet, and they found the 90st 90s chick they could possibly find and grafted themselves to it. Well, that's what I thought was Debbie. Her name's actually Libby. 
And I shared in your concerns, Joe. <laughs> she seems because, like a Debbie, though. She she spiritually is a Debbie. Continue. In, in that most Chakotay of nonsense ways, yes, spiritually. I said she looks like a cavewoman, and I continue to think she looks like a cavewoman. What if I were to tell you, Joe, that this woman is a repeat Star Trek actor, and she has been on the show before, perhaps picked for this uh, Neanderthal-like quality to be a Klingon? I was I'm in no way surprised, given this given this woman's eyebrows, that she played a Klingon. She was in Birthright Part Two, I think. That's where uh, there's the colony of Klingons living on, I believe, a Romulan prison planet or something, and Worf finds her bathing naked or something, I believe. So she was a she was a Klingon babe. Uh, for as babe as Klingon can be, I think she was. Uh, chosen for some very striking facial features but you've you've already jumped ahead too far joe you're not you're not bringing this episode into your pores the way you need to kim wakes up not to his uh his neanderthal uh roommate nudging him he wakes up to janeway's voice whispering in his ear as a as a distant dream in uh you know basically a a hint that something's wrong that there was some sort of an accident and he's in a place he shouldn't be because Janeway's going on about uh shuttlecraft Drake, you know, do we read us? And, and, and basically alludes to you guessed it yet another shuttlecraft incident on Voyager. <laughs> it's like we're, three in a row. <laughs> we're not even 10 seconds into this episode. And already I got Kim not wearing a mask and I've got, uh, what is the fourth shuttlecraft incident? If anybody is counting out there, hint, hint, I'm counting. I went back. I went through all my notes. I counted. There have been four specific incidents involving these shuttlecrafts in what we find out to be the eight month mark for Voyager. This is going to mark the second uh, shuttlecraft that Voyager has lost. Quit using these goddamn things. You cannot take the shuttle bay an inch out of the ship without there being some sort of calamity. Like, Anybody who Janeway is saying, hey, you know, pop in the show. Whoa, 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 whoa. You and I both know this is a death sentence. What, what did I do wrong, Janeway? Why are you why are you letting me hang my ass out in a space RV in the middle of a, a sea of piranhas that is the fucking Delta Quadrant? Like, why? What did I do wrong? How did I draw this short straw? Yeah, I, I'm not trying to celebrate my dead dad. Why do I got to go out in this thing? Well, Harry told one too many people his little story about remembering the womb, and they're just they just want him to go away for a while. Yeah. You know, they're having some HR problems. Jamie's like, take your soulless ass the fuck up out of here. All right, so he wakes up next to this uh, cave woman, and we get treated to a skyline of San Francisco. <laughs> oh uh, my god! That oh, it is it is this God. beautiful, serene cardboard cutout of a city that is literally the only thing missing from this fucking thing is a Japanese dude stumbling around in a rubber uh, Godzilla suit kicking over buildings. It's a look of the skyline of San Francisco, but it's the skyline of San Francisco of 1995. Apparently nothing has changed in 400 fucking years. And the only indication you have that it is the future is that they've got this one little lonely little shuttlecraft that's going across the middle of the screen. And they might as well put a cardboard cutout with a fucking production assistant behind it going, wee, wee, for all the fucking effort they put into it. Like, my God, the old Bay Bridge is still there. That's not even there in 2018. Like, Jesus Christ. No effort. 
No effort. In fact, they put so little effort into the establishing shots of San Francisco on this. I can't wait till we get to the next one. Well, you've touched on a couple of things, uh, and and I want to talk about it now before we get into it. They reuse so much footage in this episode because you know, for 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 the the real truckers out there, you all of course know that uh, San Francisco is the home base of uh, United Federation of Planets and Starfleet. Ho 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 ho. That is not the home base of the United Federation of Planets. I'm sorry, just Starfleet. Starfleet. Just Starfleet. But Paris you do have is the United Federation of Planets headquarters. Well, you got me real good there, Joe. Congratulations. I'll, uh, I'll give myself a slap on the wrist. I'm going to go to Reddit and I'm going to talk about how awesome I am. Thank you. Well, you know what's going to happen is you're going to get your face shoved in shit uh, if you go near <laughs> there trying to toot your own horn. <laughs> it's true. But anyway, so Starfleet headquarters is San Francisco, and there is a very large, you know, United Federation of Planets outpost there. I know this, and I'll get into the reason why, because the Star Trek CCG that Decipher made in the late 90s basically functions as flashcards. And I would say 80% of my Star Trek knowledge has been burned into my memory due to this uh, this card game. I've known uh, you for 10 years, Peter, yet the, it still surprises me when I learn how alike our, our, our early lives truly were. Well, and you certainly, when they do finally get around to showing uh, Starfleet headquarters, I mean, that is the the United Federation of Planets. It's, it's the, yeah, it's the UFP outpost image from the CCG, like specifically. I even pulled up, I'll post it up on the website. Like, oh, the yeah, little that's a reuse from TNG. Sure, yeah, yeah. So you got to reuse there. You got a lot of old, like, undiscovered country. I think the Voyage Home, a couple other San Francisco shots. I think there's like four of them in the film. Even for like Voyager standard death, like the film quality of these these cut ins for reused footage, it, it just slaps you in the face. Yeah, every all of the cutout uh, establishing shots they do after this one are from the Star Trek movies, and because they were shot on film, they look remarkably different. Than everything else like the most of them look like they were from star trek uh six yeah uh and they all look like they're from another fucking planet like all of a sudden it's this gorgeous like matte painting you know or really good effects shot shot on film and it's right back to our shitty tv standard death like ugh. yeah so i, I want to pause the episode here and if you listen to our intro you know it really hits a nail that's going to get blasted several times until it's like down through the two by four you're trying to attach it to. And like, I don't know, well into whatever the, the bottom fixture was in fucking China. It's like halfway. It's all the way through the globe by the time they're like doing the big reveal at the end. Like no fucking shit, dude. Kim wakes up. He knows something is wrong. He sees a woman that he loves. He sees San Francisco and there's just red alert like going off in his brain. He knows this. He's openly monologuing about uh, the, 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 the problem here. And this guy does no, nothing even remotely resembling common sense. The idea, overall idea is there's been another sort of space time displacement. Harry Kim is not on Voyager. We're going to hear and talk about this weird alternate reality that he's in. And I want to say now, the reason I wanted to say that now is because the premise of the show, the premise of this episode is not itself bad or a bad idea. It's just everything else about 
the character they focused on, and when they decided to use this idea, makes all of their other decisions absolutely mind-numbingly terrible that it doesn't work. So, like, the overall premise of, like, someone from Voyager wakes up and reality has changed and they never were on the on the mission, I can totally buy that as an episode for this show. That's Absolutely. a great ready-made idea. Yes. But doing it in the second season and instead of, like, the sixth season and doing it with a character before this we know nothing about, essentially. I'd say Harry Kim's the character we know the least amount about. Makes it just shit. And... He's not an idiot. You know, Harry Kim's a pretty smart guy. He's a he's a bridge crew. You know, this isn't Neelix we're talking about, just a bumbling fool. Like, this is a sharp kid who graduated well in Starfleet Academy and got put on a you know, pretty good ship and, and was appointed as an ops position. Instantly, he starts running through the list of possible scenarios. Again, it's Star Trek. You know, we jump back to the, uh, the projections episode. Everything the doctor went through was a valid thought pattern. I'm in a place I shouldn't be being told things that can't possibly be true, yet, you know, it's feasible. What are your what are your options? Are you in A, an alternate reality? B, have you been captured by aliens and you're some sort of weird holodeck ruse or, you know, a, a weird sort of a psychology mind trap? Or C, are you just starting to go crazy and this is a big hallucination? Okay. Normally in Star Trek, you get dragged into these weird little uh, hell boxes or whatever. And there's some nefarious agenda to, you know, blow the ship up or give up the codes of the shields or whatever. This guy has been teleported back into home into a very comfortable situation. You know, you're not supposed to be there. You know, that Voyager is out there. This isn't some uh, alternate reality where Voyager never happened and everything's honky dory. Like Voyager is lost in this alternate reality uh, Starfleet has done a memorial service. All hands are believed to be lost. And it's a it's a tough thing Starfleet's trying to wrap its head around. There's no immediate threat to Harry Kim. He's a dedicated crew member. What should the first fucking thing this guy do does be? Well, I mean, I think we, we're on the same page on this. If we're assuming a universe where Starfleet is going to understand that the kind of circumstance that he's going to describe is not impossible. And in fact, if the shows are any indication, at least not even uncommon, then you go report that up the chain and say, listen, this is what's happened from my perspective over the last eight months. I have no memory of myself being here in San Francisco doing this job that I'm supposed to be doing. Please help me understand what the hell has happened to me and see if we can problem solve a solution. And more to the point, again, being the only man with any knowledge on Earth that there is a starship in the fucking Delta Quadrant in a very dangerous situation trying to make it home at all costs, <laughs> all costs as far as, you know, Janeway's concerned, which is flying into every terrible situation she can possibly locate. E- even beyond, hey, help me get back into my ship would be, guys, Voyager is alive. Here's hope to the hundreds of family members and other people being touched by this terrible incident. Uh, Let me be the voice uh, of Voyager while I'm here. If it's an alternate reality, legitimately, if it's a a changed timeline, if it's a holodeck, if it's some sort of ruse, if you're just going crazy, nothing about going there and saying, hey, guys, Voyager's okay. Here's exactly where it is. This is what it's done so far. 
whatever you do with me from this point on, I've done my crew a solid and hopefully increase their chances of getting home. That, that doesn't hurt anything out of the, the potential cards on the table right now. And the fact he doesn't do that just haunts me the entire episode. You selfish fuck. I understand why he doesn't do that, if only because his intention is to reset what's happened. So he'd rather not go down the rabbit hole and they'd rather not go down the rabbit hole for the episode. I can buy that, although you're right. I mean, and that, that's kind of like the secondary effect of what he should have done anyway. And then they eventually have him try to do, but only in the stupidest way possible. But let's let's walk through. There's so much more garbage I mean, we're 23 minutes into this, and we've just got so much more garbage to roll around in, Peter. Yeah, it's just Let's... such a big thought episode for me. So he wakes up, and uh, his girlfriend, his fiance, which he would later come to find out, this is a legit woman from his history. This is a yeah. So this is his girlfriend, girlfriend before he left. Yeah, and this is who apparently he's been thinking of when he's not thinking about being in the womb and all that other stuff. Uh, she's like, "Look, today's your big day. Get dressed. Get out of here." Turns out, you know, you're a Starfleet uh, engineer working for uh, headquarters. She ushers him out the door. He gets ambushed by a very, very friendly, I don't know, what's the guy's name? Cornelius Conrad. Whatever, super, super Italian guy. Who's all up in his face, giving him his Vulcan mocha latte just the way he likes it, which... Two things. First, I refuse to believe that a buster like Harry Kim, no matter what kind of timeline this is, can afford a goddamn apartment with that view in the fucking mission district. Thank you. That is bullshit. <sighs> I don't care how what kind of science fiction we're watching. That is fucking possible. And two, I also refuse to believe that Vulcans like their coffee with chocolate. God damn it. That is not a people who are like, oh, you know what? This bitter drink that gets me all hyped up. You know what? It needs something sweet in it because that's what I enjoy in life. Fuck that. I'm looking for a house right now in real life. And Columbus is a city that's blowing up. Real estate is at a premium. It is very difficult to get anything inside the, the you know, the big freeway loop around the city. Uh, even outside the loop. And I'm watching exactly the stuff you're talking about. This dude has a baller ass apartment with the perfect view. Like he has landed it hard. And again, one of these, you know, headcanon episodes like, all right, so there's no money and everybody on earth just gets everything for free. Why does a scrub Ensign Harry Kim military guy, you know, why does he get a sweet ass place like this? Especially since there's apparently been no fucking construction in downtown San Francisco in 400 years. So. Very wide open streets. But again, you know, how does this stuff work in this uh, post-scarcity uh, society? When he's at dealing with uh, Cosmio or whatever this um, Italian coffee shop owner is, like, I get, you know, the appeal of Starfleet and wanting to go out and fly and explore or doing whatever you want with your time. I have a hard time believing anybody wants to bust tables and clean up after strangers and be there at the crack of dawn and all the other stuff that goes into the shittiness that is owning your own food establishment. Seeing the civilian life up close and personal in the 24th century as this episode's afforded you just really, there's a lot of uh, cognitive dissonance going on in this. Like it's, it's hard to buy their vision of the future and showing the trenches you know what i mean it's a complicated question because of course you're right right like that's the societal issue this kind of post-scarcity society would would create there's no 
demand to fill a service job. So why would someone be a bartender in fucking in 10 forward in the I would 20, tell you what in the 20 why would someone century? be a coffee shop owner? I would say, all right, well, if you're going to do the shitty thing, that's really kind of crappy work, then yeah, you know, you get the baller ass apartment with the perfect view and all this. Like that's the only way it could work out. But yeah, the, the real estate Harry Kim has seeing people with these schlub jobs. It's a, it's a weird view on, on 24th century earth. And but, it would uh, be a hell of it would create a hell of a dynamic that like people would be competing to work the shittiest jobs and like promotion would be seen. It's like no, then I'd have to move to the place that's like a fucking shoebox on the street, yeah. like the admiral's living in like a in a hobo village, mm-hmm. <laughs> like because the more important you are, the shittier a place you have to live. All the and that's you know that's why Starfleet has so many crazy admirals. Is they all live on the street. They all live in a fucking shanty town and get lead poisoning. It's what drives them crazy. Speaking of admirals, uh, we get we get Harry go- blowing into a meeting with uh, someone we don't know to have a meeting with uh, some admiral about a ship design he's working on. We get a brief uh, uh, reference to Admiral Nechev. I don't know if you noticed. Yeah, and she she was the uh, the blonde woman who was the admiral for yeah. Starfleet Intelligence. Yeah. She, it was just a reference to that admiral saying, "I don't want to keep the, uh, the head of Starfleet Intelligence waiting." She does not like to 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 be made wait. This like, admiral yeah. that they have playing in here, he comes up twice. In this episode, he's Admiral Strickler, I think, mm-hmm. and he gets used in one of the one of the movies. I don't remember which next gen movie, and Admiral Hawthorne or something different, and it creates a an issue because he plays two separate at whatever nerd stuff. But um, yeah, so he gets pulled in. You got, you got, you know, a bunch of admirals with the regular glitter zipper fronts. Then there's a couple other dudes with like the regular TNG burgundy shirt uniforms. And then there's Kim and his uh, other buddy rocking the, the Voyager jumpsuits. And uh, the other guy who's a pretty charismatic uh, Starfleet aspiring engineer Starts laying down some revolutionary designs that they've got on, uh, I don't know, some new way to handle stuff on uh, runabouts. And then he goes to turn the show over to Harry, who was supposed to have solved a big problem with dilithium matrices or something. And Harry just has no ability to bullshit his way through any of this. Starts stuttering rather than just laying stuff on the table and being like, hey, upper Starfleet, who should know that this shit happens all the time. Let me tell you about what's going on. Also, by the way, Voyager's alive and here's this other just totally botches this perfect opportunity to lay the cards on the table. He's like, oh, yeah, I don't feel good. I got to leave. It would be one thing if he would been showing like a lot of uncertainty or panic or like I'm new at this and I've not experienced this before. And this is weird. New guy shit. Like and then he just kind of froze and didn't know what to do. So he just got himself out of the situation because he's still trying to process it. Could have bought that. But instead, he's just and this God. He's I dragging his ass. It's cause Garrett Garrett Wayne can't fucking act. Oh my god, yes. That is the real takeaway from this episode is he is a terrible actor. He's god awful from beginning to end in this episode. In every highlighted scene he has he can't convey any kind of convincing emotion. Can I peel back the he curtain? Never... Go ahead. This episode is a direct result of him whining. 
he went to the producers and said, hey, you know, I want action. I want romance. Why can't Kim ever save the day? Why can't Kim ever punch someone? I never had a stunt double. Even Kessis had a stunt double. You know, I want this. I want this. I want this. And then Bran Branagh or whatever is basically like, oh, okay, hey, all the stuff you've just been complaining that you want, you know, over the course of the next second season, we're just going to jam all that shit into one episode to, I don't know, to shut you up or because we thought you could carry it. And they gave him this Mary Sue episode, essentially, you know, like, oh, hey, look how sweet I am. I'm going to be the tough guy and get through all that other crap. And he just shits the bed start to finish. He fucking really does. They give him every possible opportunity to play range in this episode from confusion to anger uh, to trying to figure out what's going on, to camaraderie, to emotional, you know, connection dialogue. And every scene, he's flat and boring, and can you can get zero read on what his character is thinking because he can't convey any fucking emotion. It's miserable. But uh, it's exciting to go through and, and ream nonetheless. So he, you know, basically fucks up this big presentation pisses his friend off because he puts like zero effort into it and then falls back to his uh, uh, falls back to his engineering office where we get a pretty cool model of a galaxy starship. Yeah. I figured you'd notice it looked like a a model of the D. Absolutely. He's got a nice office and we find out when he gets his, his personnel record off the computer that the the change in this reality essentially was that he appeared, applied to to posting on Voyager and was actually denied. And so instead he's taken a position with Starfleet engineering and he's already actually won an award and he's uh, focused on warp propulsion theory. Sure. The big takeaway out of this interaction he has with the computer. And if you can drop the sound clip in, I would love it. He asked the computer and this is just general, no security clearance needed. You know, he's just like, uh, you know, Hey Google, Computer, access Starfleet Science Academy database. Have there been any temporal anomalies in the space-time continuum reported in the last 48 hours? Negative. No temporal anomalies have been reported. Blows my mind. This is how common this shit is in Star Trek, is that they have basically... (laughs) They're charting temporal anomalies like we would track earthquakes. Like, hey, has there been any sort of weird sort of incursion loops or something like that? And again, he didn't have to say, hey, uh, upper Starfleet command, top secret clearance. This is just like Joe Blow off the street. Be like, you know, man, my back hurts. My back's never hurt before. Hey, uh, check the newspaper. You see anything in the temporal anomalies uh, classifieds that might have. Yeah, partially cloudy with a chance of temporal loops. I think I think that might have been what happened. Uh, so again, this is acknowledged thing. And to me, the fact that this is something that's there, something being cataloged, something that is present in everybody's mind, like more future tear for me, man, you know, just living in a world where you're like, you know, maybe what I believe to be reality isn't. And, uh, I don't know, just that, that uncertainty that nothing is really, really real or the way it's supposed to be, uh, very haunting. So some unseen other dude took his place that he's apparently friends with on and he also BFFs uh, with him, uh, fact. BFFs with it we don't know who Daniel this guy Bird. is but Danny Bird and he he goes back home a little little confused as to 
what the fuck is going on. Um, and the the super Italian cafe guy like assures him and and believes that he's going back home for a little afternoon delight. You know, mm-hmm. gonna gonna go put it to eyebrows. Gonna gonna clubber it happen. Clubber over the head and drag her back to the cave. <laughs> That poor woman. And then, I mean, I don't know if those were. I don't know if that was makeup or not. I, but if it was, they really did her a disservice. Well, Kim confides in this rando. Well, not rando, but you know, in his favorite barista. Hey, by the way, um, I know it's going to sound weird, but I don't know where I live. And when I left this morning, I didn't really look at the door with my address. I, I know you, you make a really mean uh, Vulcan mocha latte. By any chance, do you know my home address? And even weirder is the guy's like, of course, this is precisely where you live. Go, go, have a good day. And then you get that that incredibly unsubtle lingering shot as his 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 expression changes slightly. You know, like I'm gonna go ahead and cue the sound effect everyone knows is gonna happen, like right here. Is it the dun dun dun? Of course it is. It needs to be the dun dun dun. It's it's gonna be. And you'll also notice that Garrick doesn't convey any emotion at all as he is told not only like, oh hey yeah man, you live in that building over there. Oh no, you live in that building over there, uh, floor whatever room number this. Like what? <laughs> what? Why do you know? Kim, who can't tell the Starfleet admirals, hey, this ship is alive. Everything is good. Can't tell the admirals, hey, look, there's some temporal fuckery going on. Who's like so self-conscious about what people will think or whatever his fucking reason is. Tells essentially a stranger, I don't know where I live with zero hesitation only to find out that guy knows. So, you know, off he goes. And then he begins some... uh, role-playing exercises with uh, his fiance. Yeah, so they get this um, little intense talk time with uh, with Eyebrows McNinety's chick in a, in a towel. And this is where, like, if you weren't already convinced that Garrett Wang can't fucking act, this just takes it all the way to the house because it's supposed to be this uh, sultry, emotional, you know, like... Kim's trying to elicit this emotional response because he hasn't really seen his girlfriend, now his fiance, and what to him has been most of a year. And Eight months. It just credit to the actress who puts in more effort. But Garrett Wang can't can't convey that emotion in any authentic way. They get the camera. Chemistry. None. They close that camera in tighter and tighter and tighter. And it's just this flat, like this this hint of why don't why don't we act like I haven't seen you? How how about how about we do that? Like you you can't feel from the performance at all that there's a genuine emotion that Kim is in any way feeling anything real. Like what I likened it to to my wife as we watched it was I feel like I'm watching a a, a slightly above average high school performance like stage performance this is and this is all the acting in the entire show it even brings down people who are 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 usually not as bad when tom paris finally makes his grand appearance like robert duncan mcneil even he's like just dragged down by proximity 
Even his scenes are garbage. I think uh, high school play has given this thing too much credit. I would put the the acting and the emotion and the chemistry that we're seeing here on par with like the community college uh, lab safety video that I had to watch. <laughs> I was going to say, if you're going to compare this to community theater, I have legitimately seen much better from community theater than is in this episode. Uh, but I have, I, I have seen better actually in high school theater, but if this were at a high school play, I would say they did. Okay. Okay. So they, uh, C plus he, <laughs> Presumably sleeps with his fiance and uh, 4 a.m. in the morning, he wakes up and starts poking around on his computer, trying to get back into figuring out what's going on here. Again, he's made no real attempts to inform or rectify or go into like a super defense. Let's assume, you know, he thought maybe this is uh, aliens playing a trick on him. No points is he throw up his hands and say, I refuse to interact with this any further, blah, 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 like pull up a card. So let's strip out all the the crappy acting and the failures of Garrett here and say that this might have been a good character plugged in instead. I I don't know. Who do you think would have been the right person to feature in this episode? I actually had a long conversation with Stevie about that very uh, subject. Um, If I were going to do a rewrite on this, uh, it would have been an episode in the seventh season instead of the second. And it would have been Tom Paris as the focus for sure. Yeah. I think Paris would have been the and right person to do this on too. He's the he's he's the character who over the course of this series is going to have his life improved the most mm-hmm. by being on Voyager and being in the Delta Quadrant. And by the end of the run of the episode, he has had gained so much that this would have been a huge emotional opportunity for that character to see what his life could have turned out like otherwise. Story. And then be Yeah, and then be like desperate to get it back. And and it would have He's a better actor, so he could have conveyed that uh, authentically. Sure. Um, so what I want to really say is at this point, he's put in a full day in fantasy land. He has not made any real hard attempts to start investigating or using the plethora of privileged resources he has to fix this thing. Why is he not taking action? And I think if we're going to try and put credit where credit isn't due, it should be because this life is so ideal this life is so good that it's genuinely difficult for for the you know misplaced Starfleet officer to say, you know what, I can't take this beautiful gift. I need to fight to get back into the, the trenches out on Voyager. And I don't see him enjoying really any of this. The 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 scant few scraps that we know about Harry Kim begins with his parents are extremely overprotective and that he misses them terribly, right? That's really the first thing you get for him is that he's, I don't want to say a mama's boy, but he's young and this is his first time out. And so he's got family that miss him terribly and he uh, misses cl- them terribly. You know, they, they kind of touch right. on, he start, when he wakes up at 4am after getting out of bed, he sees his old clarinet, he's picking it up. He's kind of playing it like the, the homesick fever is kind of starting to, to get the better of him, right? The fact there's no mention of his mother or any of his extended family, like, again, uh, alt-reality, holodeck, alien ruse, crazy, any of these things, why not make that money? Okay, you're not going to tell everybody that Voyager's out there and put those families at ease, sure, whatever. You're not going to call your own mom and at least be like, oh God, it's good to hear your voice. Even if I'm just crazy and I'm having like, you know, flashback fever or I'm in some alternate craziness dimension, like, 
you're not going to indulge and take the one staple, the one tent peg we have for your character, really, and and pursue that at all. Yeah, among the, it's, yeah, I mean, you're right. It, it, again, there's maybe if Garrett Wang wasn't a terrible actor, this this emotional confusion that would have led him to not make those choices could have been better understood or better uh, conveyed or, or the writing was just that bad too, or whatever. I, I want to go right. with some bad like, writing. I want to spread some of the blame out because let's jump back to uh, initiations. Okay. The Chakotay, Kazan, uh, crew swap, <laughs> uh, gun show. There is a failure in this writer room to acknowledge the character histories that they've established for these people. Chakotay, by the portrayal in uh, Initiations, is not a terrorist who has gone to great lengths to protect his home from invaders and views violence as a viable alternative and and despises or even resents the Starfleet uniform he has been forced to wear again. Harry Kim, who, again, it's not like he's got a lot of history, just the writers are like, eh, fuck that stuff. Uh, I want to I talk about a, a coffee drink preference instead. You're right. They absolutely should, at the very least, since there's so little established about Harry Kim, used what was established. But they didn't. And Harry is is busily finding out that Tom Paris, not on the crew manifest, didn't make it to the Delta Quadrant. Um, and so he sees an opportunity in that to finally take action. And instead of, again, turning to the plethora of way better options to help him understand what's happened to him, he decides to go look up his buddy Tom, who I'm sure he probably already realizes, given the situation that he already understands, won't know him and be essentially of no help to him. Will still be a convict terrorist. Walking syphilis. <laughs> Let me roll back here real quick because it's going to play in. As you're trying to figure out what is the true nature of the situation he's in, Kim tries pulling up some Voyager files. They're all classified because it's MIA. Um, he uses his Voyager security clearances and gets access to all this stuff. So he, you know, his situation's legit. He's proven empirically that he knows things he shouldn't. He's able to, you know, it's not just him. He's impacting the environment. He's using these other knowledges to do things where he's at. So I, I think it starts cementing the, the alternate reality time um, uh, option. Uh, and, and I was curious if Starfleet was going to see him fishing around those files. So all these crew manifests and stuff he's looking at, he shouldn't be in there. But, you know, his girlfriend wakes up. She's like, oh, what's wrong? You know, when are you going to tell me what's up? Again, he's being needlessly uh, evasive and, and silly instead of using resources like her emotional support, he just kind of shuts her out because he wants to go pursue this stranger. And uh, after some bad jokes about France, says, oh, it's 4 a.m. I'm going to zip over there. And I was really, I wanted to know, how is he getting over there? Is there a transporter network around Earth and anybody can go anywhere at any time like that? Is he going to be in a shuttle, you know, some sort of an airplane? But they, they, yeah, they actually, hold on. I just want to let you know that in DS9, in particular, they essentially established that a worldwide transporter network exists. That's fucking awesome. That is cool as shit. It is. It is. Before and, or after this episode? It, uh, would have run, I think, run parallel because uh, I, 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 I'll have to look it up to see if that's something that, that happened before or after. Definitely 
occurred, I want to say fourth season. Worf was in the show, so it could have been it happened in this same season. Well, that is, that's really cool to hear. And uh, it would have been, it's not like those transporter effects are, you know, bank breakers here, but whatever. So he ends up in, what is this, the holodeck recreation fuck pad that uh, Paris made for Voyager? Yeah, the real, the quote unquote real version of Sandrine's, the the J.O. fantasy room. <laughs> so uh, if somehow, uh, apparently, uh, Tom Paris uh, morphed into a dumpy version of Neil Patrick Harris in this. You reality. got that vibe too, huh? Yeah, actually, uh, got a hat tip to the wife. She's the one that called that out. And uh, we find out that in this version of reality, in an explanation that makes no sense whatsoever. But it was still a nice DS9 call out. It was a nice call out. I mean, that Paris got in a fight on DS9 with Quark and he got jailed by Odo and therefore got his parole revoked and didn't go on the mission. Janeway does still make the attempt to, to drag him in and basically he shot himself in the foot. Correct. And then he actually she actually tries to get him out of jail with Odo and Odo says no and that makes perfect sense if you've watched a lot of DS9. So... He didn't make the mission and therefore went back to the pokey until his term ran out. Let's talk about that real quick as we continue to flesh out Starfleet according to Voyager. He got busted for terrorism, right? He got kicked. I'm sorry, treason. He got, well, same thing when you're talking about the Maquis, really. He got kicked out of Starfleet for getting people killed, goes over, joins the Maquis, gets busted, gets arrested gets sent off to the, you know, this penal colony in New Zealand, which is sunny California pleasure garden. 18 months, man. That's all uh, treason's worth in the Federation. 18 months. I'm not, I'm not surprised. The 24th century prison politics being, you know, much lighter on the sentencing, much more harsh, harsher on the rehabilitation. So, you know, you're not keeping people locked up for very long because they've ascended beyond that as a method by which to cure recidivism. Um, I get it. Uh, I imagine crime is so blessedly rare in 24th century utopian society where there's absolutely no no uh, scarcity uh, that uh, they have the luxury of operating in this fashion. But what you get, though, is Tom uh, essentially permanently shit-faced in this French bar. And, uh, man, this is like the worst acting. This is where, like, now now Garrett Wang isn't just terrible on his own. Now he's sucking other people into his shit vortex. You know, the fucking black hole of despair that his, his inability to act starts getting getting Tom Paris in, enveloped in it. and uh, And... McNeil can't can't pull out. He can't get enough can't get enough thrust to get out of the event horizon. He starts getting sucked in. They do a, a shitty stage punch, Star Trek fighting stage punch. Uh after uh you know, he's like, I don't know who you are and I don't care and I'm just I'm I'm too far gone to give a shit and I don't like anyone and I'm not gonna help you, Harry Kim, apparently go uh figure out what happened to you by doing shuttle simulations, which I don't know where the fuck that came from, but apparently that's what Harry's decided is his way to figure out how to. What to would you undo even this. need Tom Paris for? I, I need you to fly a shuttlecraft in a computer simulation. What? Like, well, is that a billion fucking qualified people that can help you with this at Starfleet Command? Jesus. I guess you've got these resources, and you're going to go to a complete stranger who has no reason to help you. I, I, 
I know we're kind of beating a dead horse on this thing, but my problem with this scene, and I get, you know, you got to draw some other people from the alternate timeline. You can't have them just acting with all special guest star Starfleet dudes. Uh, at no point does Kim say, hey, I had to find you. Here's my crazy story. I'm going to tell you that I won't fucking tell the reasonable people at Starfleet who, you know, might be able to really do something about this, but I need to draw you in. I know you're a terrorist. I know you're an ex-con. I know you got no reason to believe me. But in this other world, you and I are very close friends. We're best friends. We've saved each other's lives. Uh, you know, one time you had sex with a, you tried to have sex with a lady with poop on her head and got framed for murder. <laughs> and I, I helped save your life. Like, he doesn't make this, he doesn't play the friendship card at all. Like, he pitches this whole thing to Paris about, like, uh, it's your duty and, you know, these other people need your help. And there's like no human. And otherwise you're a loser. Yeah. Like it, he while he wakes up in this episode, like a human being who's kind of like curled in the fetal position without a mask on his eyes. Here he is the android. We know he is rigid with his palms at his side and no flexibility. He it's the worst sales pitch possible. I don't blame Paris for telling him to fuck off at all. Uh, and it's just stupid. This again, another missed opportunity to reinforce that these guys mean a lot to each other and that you have, you know, it would have been ideal to have Kim be able to sell Paris, who has no reason to believe any of this shit on the pure emotion of, believe me, we're friends. I need you and you need this too, because in the other world, you're awesome. And here, I want better for you. And that's really what the resolution of this episode boils down to is he does he walks away from this beautiful golden opportunity of a perfect life and an opportunity to be the biggest asset to voyager possible as the on earth liaison to really start making some connections here he throws his own happiness away he throws the survivability and the lifeline to starfleet for voyager away because uh paris is a drunk piece of shit here and i owe him more than I owe the entirety of that ship. You're selling me so hard on that. This episode really could have worked as a Harry Kim adventure, which yeah. is impressive because I had convinced myself there was no way it could work, but you're right. Like that level of emotion and, and, and delivering on like that, their friendship as the fulcrum and really like emphasizing that Harry's like, no man, I love you like a brother. If this needs to be a total bro episode because he's going bros over hose on this, right? He's got the girl he wants. They're getting married. Right. Mm -hmm. They're sharing a cave together. Okay. <laughs> Another thing, his own happiness, his girlfriend's happiness, his parents knowing happening, everybody on Voyager's parents knowing what's happening. Like so much stuff in the reasons to stay in this timeline versus the reasons to go back to being lost in space. And it all comes down to Tom Paris, who he doesn't even say, hey, by the way, we're friends and you mean a lot. So so that's the real shitty tipping point here. Um, he gets, uh, you know, the sloppy punch thrown. Somehow he beats Paris in a fight, which I don't believe for a fucking minute. Uh, Even sloshed, I don't buy that. I buy that less than him having a fucking apartment in the Mission District. <laughs> that is a huge disconnect, Joe. That's, and, and you're right. So we get treated to some more <laughs> stock footage of Star Trek movies of, uh, you know, a sky view of, you know, zooming back over the Golden Gate Bridge over to... Uh, Starfleet, where 
Uh, Kim walks back into his beautiful Mission District apartment, and we see two security dudes chilling out with uh, season two phasers on their belt. And his girlfriend and this, uh, I don't remember the hell the lieutenant's name is, you know, his engineering partner, who everybody is in like total reasonable mode. And he's like, oh, oh, God, what's going on? And they're like, look, dude, hey, you know, Starfleet knows that you've been mucking around in restricted databases and you've been acting weird and your girlfriend, you know, fiance agrees and we want to help you, man. They start rolling out the red carpet for him to unfuck this situation. He has a little yeah, hissy they, fit. They they bring him in front of the admiral. Yeah, like he gets he gets FaceTime with the biggest brass there he could he could hope to be in front of on this, and he he instead of like calmly and rationally being like, okay, listen, I've been confused about what the fuck was going on. I think I got it parsed out. I this didn't know if I, I was in an alien trap or I was right. just going crazy or the other very real thing. You know, we're joking about the hotline. Uh, that Starfleet should have for this kind of shit in the intro. Realistically, this has been going on for centuries at this point in Star Trek. I would think like temporal displacement coping mechanisms should be like a required class at Starfleet Academy. Absolutely. I I went through the flow chart and I have now established that this is not a trap or trick and that I am in a legitimate alternate timeline, which I've, and then that I don't pose a fucking space time continuum debacle threat. And start rolling out this stuff as, you know, an enlightened ops science dude on a bridge should be able to do. But like you said, instead he throws a little hissy fit and demands his lawyer and winds up like getting a home detention ankle bracelet or something. Not, not even yet, man, because he starts sloppily throwing all this stuff out there. And I don't see anything from the Starfleet side where they're like, that's preposterous. They're just like. Give us. A, I, I think asking for evidence is silly because, like, how can you prove? It's not like you can be like, "Well, look, I brought my ID card from." Like, he, he just quantum leaps, like, slidered into this body. He could have been like the reason I didn't hack my way into these databases. I used a legit code. I can tell you operational stuff about the ship that I shouldn't know, but I do because what I'm telling, like, lay out some empirical evidence. Not a big deal. And then things escalate in the most excellent way while, like, he's throwing like a you know he might as well got like crayons out and try to draw on the back of a menu to like present his case and while you know the admiral's trying to watch him someone comes in with a pad and's like oh yeah by the way he just got back from paris where he was uh hanging i'm sorry marsalis or whatever where he was hanging out with a dude who got kicked out of starfleet and then <laughs> fucking went rogue with the maquis like he has shot himself in both foots both feet twice the guy playing the lieutenant spits out some dialogue that makes sense in the scene. I think that's probably the the best I can say. Like he's like, I believe that you believe with what you're saying, but here's Reasonable. all the other alien conspiracy shit that could be happening that Reasonable. makes it possible. And also, let's jump off uh, what you're talking about. If this is a season four-ish for DS9, isn't this about the time like Dominion Wars and like changeling mm-hmm. founders start rolling out i was waiting to see if they were going to reference that he could be a changeling or something because he's like, like you could be an alien and i'm like this is some legitimate paranoia for starfleet like if there's one thing it's starfleet is not above infiltration i mean what, what was that fucking dickhead's name from uh season one no season two no it was season two that they like the best moment of next gen ever where they phaser that fucking guy until his head blows up and it's like a giant insect head god what was his name 
Joe, come on, what's this guy's name? Remick. Harry ultimately walks dejectedly back to his apartment. With a sweet ankle bracelet like it's 94. And obviously, we finally get the clearly suspicious coffee guy sits him down and just absolutely lays it out and says, hey, by the way, I'm an alien. Uh, I'm kind of exist out of phase with the time-space continuum as you understand it, but long story short, bro, you sort of hit like a time-space speed bump and... uh, Landed the time-space jackpot. Yeah, and you kind of re- reconfigured everything, and you wound up here. And I I was assigned to make sure you're all right. Things uh, turned out pretty fucking good for you, bro. Like, got a sweet job. You got your girl. You're not fucking stuck in the ass end of the Delta Quadrant waiting to get eaten by some sort of space horror. There's um, no goofy rules you have to play by where I say you can't mention anything from the alternate reality. You have to keep it all to yourself. You can go back to Starfleet and tell them everything you know and help the hell out of this other crew. Like, this is as good as it gets. And also, how lame is it that, like, this NPC, you know, not NPC, but you know, NPC. This, no, he's an NPC. He's an NPC. Go this with NPC it. is just like, Hey, player, come on over, sit down at the coffee table. I see you struggling with the module. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and show you the DM's book. Here's here's a script for the plot. You know, it turns out you hit a, a magic ley line out in space, and it was like a one in a million shot that this happened. But, like, you rolled really well, and you are in an idealized situation right now. Uh, you can cry if you want to, you know, continue the, the quest, turn to page 36. But be aware... You know, you try and roll the dice on this thing, and God only knows the deep space horror that awaits you. And I do appreciate that this guy just did not give a shit if if that's ultimately what he wanted to do. He's like, all right, fine. Doesn't affect me any. I mean, like, we were just looking out for you. You really want to do this. I'll go ahead and give you, like, the, the cheat codes, and you can give it another try. But, you know, you just keep drawing from that deck of many things. Eventually, you're going to hit that one that sends you into, like, an astral prison. And astral you know, prison like, being transported at a time before life exists on earth being po- transported to poisonous air earth like the mind reels at what could happen and when you say cheat codes he literally gives him like a little computer usb drive <laughs> with all the info he literally gives him like the cheat code yeah like all right go ahead <laughs> so he goes back to uh his 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 apartment real quick and has one more scene with eyebrows mcnighty's chick who's wearing a see-through dress in the scene and i couldn't not stare at it because it seems so baffling to me of why that would be the wardrobe choice but that's what can i talk did. i want to talk about her real quick so the first time we see her like she is pretty much naked this entire episode uh i think someone at uh the production studio after that birthright just kind of had a thing for her uh, and she is yeah, like, man, every, everything she's in is kind of pervy, isn't it? Yeah. And I'm not trying to be like, uh, you know, rattling the, the feminist saber here. What are just like, this is weird. Until you just said that she, she was in like basically a shirt in their first scene, a towel. She was in a towel in the second scene. She was in a nightgown in the third scene. And in this one, she's wearing a, like a full skin tight like, cat suit, essentially. But that's see-through. Isn't like, you could see through. The red one? Yeah. You could totally see her underwear. Like, that's very visible. It's all very pervy, now that you mention it. Yeah, I think you're right. 
finally rolls out like, the, hey, here's a scoop. Uh, everything's perfect. <laughs> but I'm going to dip out on this reality. And uh, here's some really unconvincing reasons why. And she lays down some common sense, great arguments. He's like, you know me, once I get something in my mind, I can't shake it. And even if I stayed here in this paradise, you know, helping Void, it doesn't even cross his mind he could be an assistant to like Void. At the end of this, my my takeaway is when he tells Janeway what happened here, if I was Janeway, I'd slap the fuck out of this guy and be like, you selfish little prick. But anyways, uh, and she's like, well, okay, let, you know, take me with you. And he's like, no, I got to do this on my own. Meanwhile, he's been cocking around with this like, uh, 90s style police ankle bracelet <laughs> stops in the midpoint to start talking to his girlfriend whatever head start he could have had he's basically wasted it starts beeping they're like oh security's coming and what's pretty cool is security just beams in his fucking house no need for a warrant in the 24th century they're just there I, in my mind i'm like are they gonna try and kick in the door are they gonna do the reasonable thing just beam right in this fucking like okay you know what this guy we're done with him this maquis super or sympathizer traitor get his ass so they beam in and then it's like the most laughable action sequence i think we've seen yet even more so than the throne punch in in the following order this is what happens the phaser armed security officers are thwarted by a window being closed and a young woman standing in front of it they (laughs) They don't even say move they just turn and like it's just like, oh no, she's in front of it. We have to go to the next floor. Um, they uh, they have a. It's like, hold on. It's like she puts her arms up and she's got like really bad bo, and they're like, oh god. <laughs> I thought <laughs> that's so stinky. That that suit is so sexual, but man, you reek. I'm out of here. They have a low speed foot chase through a soundstage. Through what appears, and as we're really getting a big view of uh, of what they call San Francisco in the future. I can't shake the feeling this was the set that they filmed Dick Tracy on. Yeah, it's some studio lot in L.A. It's just with just some overlays over some buildings. Uh, so they do the loop a few times through that. And then finally, there's a little tackle from uh, the security guard. On the fire but, escape? No, he, be- uh, he beats one of the fire. He beats one of the security dudes on the fire escape. Correct. And he's got the other one and he, he's doing laps and eventually he gets tackled. And that's when suddenly, out of nowhere, it's Tom laying down the Falcon Punch. He comes out swinging like Chakotay on Dobie. Yes, it does. That's what it reminded me of. It was that Maquis Punch. Mm-hmm. He lands the Maquis like across the face perfect stage punch. And uh, it's like, oh, hey, look, it's Tom. Because that's what the story demands. Was it not point. maddening during this chase down the fucking street that, like, at no point is a security guy who's packing a fucking Type 2 face like, you know what, maybe I should just stun this guy. Nah, that's it's what I expected at this point, honestly. And then when, like, there's this firefight between Starfleet security and, like, a hobo and whatever, like, everybody on the street's just cool with it happening. No one's like, oh, God, I better step forward and stop whatever terrible terrorism's going on here. Like, eh, whatever. Speaking of, yeah, whatever... The rest of this episode is mostly just dialogue between Harry Kim and Tom Paris that is incredibly forgettable. And it starts really circling the drain in terms of the effort from both of these actors. They are pulling opportunities out of their ass. Harry Kim in this universe is 
not only in a really cool situation, I think he boils down to whatever happened in this timeline. He is like long shot or domino out of Marvel. He has incredible <laughs> luck. He cannot fail. This his ability to leave this world is amazing to me. The jump to conclusion. Henry Kim is, is cannot out. lose. Remember that Parker Lewis cannot lose. That's Harry Kim in this. And uh, the guy with the trench coat from Parker Lewis can't lose. That's what this episode should be. Harry Kim can't lose. When Tom, they're like, oh God, you know, we need a ship. Oh, I've just so happened to have access to a new badass runabout. Oh, it's in my uh, security. You know, we got to get into like the most secure thing in the area, the, the Starfleet headquarters. How are we going to do this? Tom, the Maquis terrorist who was drummed out and fucking like court-martialed and imprisoned, like, well, I just so happen to have friends still in Starfleet who gave me a really sweet site-to-site transporter that can breach Starfleet. <laughs> what What else can you produce? The security people aren't shooting at it. You're kicking everybody's ass left and right. Windows are stopping people from chasing you. <laughs> Paris shows up in the nick of time with an off-screen punch. Paris has a magical transporter that can transport you into a fucking Starfleet headquarters. <laughs> this is this is a dm trying to wrap this shit up harry kim should have stopped and said wait a minute i i've been wrong this is not an alternate timeline too much is going my way i'm high someone <laughs> is fucking with me. q q where are you i know this has to be your doing so skip a bunch of schlocky crap there's a half-ass firefight in starfleet they beam off onto this fucking runabout. You get some stock footage from, uh, I know my space dock doors and I got to say the space dock that, uh, they're leaving with that runabout. I believe that's the Dyson sphere from the Scotty episode. And they superimposed I, I, a fucking runabout flying out of there. I think you're right because it, it didn't look like a film shot. Like, uh, no, I, like I, it would have, if it was one of the, another reuses, I bet my eyebrows, my non, caveman eyebrows <laughs> that uh that that's the dyson sphere you get some pretty cool footage from what looks like uh that episode where the sutherland was flying around that the, the nebula class was shooting up cardassians you got something that's got the firepower of a fucking galaxy class chasing down this runabout laying shots on it uh harry kim's got the cheat codes for where the nearest ley line is and they start trying to recreate the situation that you know kim this is while a a, a a big starships chasing him and shooting him. They're just popping out their hypothesis without having hashed any of this shit out before. Like it's this back and forth science dialogue. That's just like wrong so time paint for by numbers. Babble. Yeah. It's so, it's so paint by numbers, techno babble. That's passionless. And it's, it's like, why, why is this how you're feeling? The, 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 the final act of this episode, like what is, what is intense about that, about these two actors trading nonsense with each other? Hey, I put all the shit in so it's the same as before. Punch it. That's all you need to say. But no, instead, it's like, yeah, extended techno babble. They fly through. It doesn't work. And then Kim's like, oh, yeah. That's right, because I was teleporting. So not only do I have like an ass hairs chance, like with chance to, to end up back in my own timeline, right? But let's go ahead and up the ante even more. Not only do I want to roll the dice on my own life, but beam me out into space to to make this exactly the same. So even if it doesn't work, I'm going to suffocate in the void of space. And also, this thing is about to blow up. So 
Paris, I'm condemning you to death too. Gosh, I sure hope that alien wasn't pulling my leg. <laughs> Tension free though, because you know what's about to happen. I mean, this was just, just ready for this to end. And, um, as a consequence, uh, what happens of course, is that Harry Kim winds back up where he's quote unquote supposed to be after, uh, recreating the accident. And they do do a quick pass the ball on the, on the bridge so that all the regulars can get a line in. And, uh, and sure enough, they of course retrieve Kim who immediately kind of smarmily, uh, Chakotay. Yeah. I ran into a time problem. Oh, you want Tom. And then that's it. It doesn't look like he actually tells anyone what happens. That's where they end it. They're like, He's, he's just kind of being a dick to his, his boss. And then he tells his friend that he owes him something. And his friend's like, what the fuck do you mean? And he just kind of like walks off the set. Like, no debriefing. No debriefing. Yeah. I don't know if they ever touch on this or if it's just a bottle episode. No chance for Janeway to come across a table and grab Harry Kim by the neck with both hands and jam her thumbs. Well, maybe it should be Tuvok or Chakotay since... How many opportunities has a Janeway squandered to make their situation better? But be like, dude, you could have, assuming this wasn't just all a dream, you could have been on Earth, like feeding fucking info, telling people we're alive. All the shit and all the emotional heart pulling that they did in uh, Eye of the Needle, when we sent a message back to Earth on a on a 40-year delay or whatever, that you saw happen and you knew the power that could have had in our predicament and you fucking squandered it over Tom Paris's convict ass. But uh, yeah, and then they wrap it up real neat with a bow tie. That's that. And they, you know, start rolling the credits. <laughs> I think uh, you wrapped it up nice there with that sound effect, my friend. Um, it was fun to get back to shitting on something rather than being shit on by something. Uh, but uh, Lots of potential here, man. Again, squandered opportunities. You know how we mentioned that season one was like pleasantly mediocre for the most part? It wasn't like total shit. Like there was most of the time we're like, ah, that wasn't too bad. I mean, it wasn't great, but squatted opportunities, but it stayed on the right side of like, of, of the, of the Mendoza line. Man, season two has been real tough. Season two is a junior high dance and all the boys are on the left side and all the girls are on the right side and all the good episodes are on the left side and all the bad episodes are on the right side. Um, a strong potential here some really cool opportunities for extended thought and, and deep diving into like you know life in the 24th century and getting into kind of inside view as to what starfleet commands like but um at face value and 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 what i think most people would take away who aren't meticulously dissecting these episodes this is poop and i don't think anybody came out happy with the results from what i was seeing on the uh the behind the scenes stuff. Uh, something interesting, the Admiral who grills him, uh, Strickler, you know, like I said, the Admiral who pops up some other places was supposed to be Troy. Oh man, that would have been something. It would have really been something to have Troy in there. Thing, if, if Troy, an empath, listen, you know, more reason like, Hey, look, you know, I'm telling you the truth. Read my fucking mind. Um, the, the, like I said at the very beginning, and I'll wrap my thoughts on it by saying it again. The premise of this episode was not the part that was bad. It was it, it, this premise actually is a baked in great idea for a show like Voyager 
It's just doing it in season two mm-hmm. and doing it with a character that we have not established and therefore don't care about. And therefore none of this has emotional weight. And then giving Can't it to act. an actor who, who cannot fucking act. I mean, it was just, it was just bad on every conceivable level, but at least it was enjoyably bad. Very enjoyable. Give it that. I was, I was give it very that. excited to come into this. I mean, we're sitting at the hour 18 mark here, but, uh, yeah, I got some, uh, I got some, some deeper thoughts on this. I think I'll save if we do another, uh, season wrap for two, um, some alternate reality debating, but from here, we're going to season two, episode six, twisted Voyager encounters. And oh, hold on before we, we do that. What were our predictions for this episode? Who was the, the worst person to feature? Oh, we knew it was Harry Kim from the description. So we oh, didn't make guesses. Okay. All right. So this is going to be a, uh, a wash. So, uh, season two, episode six, Joe Voyager is going to encounter a mysterious energy field that surrounds the ship and disrupts the crew's communications. What a fucking shitty description. Isn't that like every episode? Okay, Joe, there's an episode coming up where... Uh, Shit doesn't work right on the ship. Do the dun 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 sound. <laughs> it's gonna get some overuse in this one, I think. Um, I have I have terrible news. It's a good episode. I'm gonna be hard pressed to come up with things to shit on. No. This oh, so episode, it's the bad kind of terrible news. Ugh. This episode was so bad that um they almost didn't air it. You're telling me that there was an episode that was somehow worse than Illusion. You know how these writers sometimes think they really nailed it and then we watch it and we wonder like what kind of drugs they're on? This is an episode that was so bad that it, it even pierced that veil. And they're like, maybe we shouldn't let people see this. And then UPN execs stepped in and said, it airs. Well, they, they apparently reshot a bunch of it, so... You know, this is the famous lore of this. Like this, man, season two is real rough. Oh, God, I forgot how bad this was. We've never really discussed if we're going to watch everything or if like the worst of the worst is going to get. No, we're I'm doing it all, man. Like if you want to tap out and then I got to I got to soldier through this somehow, I guess I'm a completionist. I'm doing every fucking episode of the show. So you'll have to let me know if you're you're mad enough to take the punishment with me, or if I gotta, you know, find someone to step in. Uh, you know the the one scrap I have in these terrible episodes is again just being able to build precedent and have stuff to draw on for later episodes. So I'll wade through it, and let's uh, fingers crossed that there's going to be something worth taking away from it at the end of the day. Uh, worst episode, or sorry, worst character for this to focus on. Uh, you know, I forget who it actually focuses on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, hmm. I'm gonna throw Chakotay. I think Chakotay is gonna be the worst person to focus in on this. I'm gonna say the worst person to focus it in on Janeway. I feel like Janeway would be the worst yeah, person. Yeah, she can spin the whole thing as a metaphor for her failure to connect with the ship's crew. Blah, blah, blah. All right. Care to hear about a uh, rule of acquisition? This is the rule of rule of acquisition worthy episode. Hit it. I wish I would have saved the one about, uh, you know, home is where the heart is, but the stars have made a Latin. But instead, uh, since he had so many opportunities and 
had this gone another way could have been a really good episode to draw on all the resources of San Francisco Starfleet and his uh, quote unquote hot wife. Uh, rule of acquisition. My list is messed up. Well, exploitation begins at home and uh, your homework viewers at or listeners at home. See which, uh, which rule of acquisition that actually was somewhere after two ninety nine. I don't know, but <laughs> right. I put as much effort into that, into uh, making this episode make any sense on behalf of the fucking writers. Ugh. If you have been listening to Viger, please, A Hateful Voyage with the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. I'm Peter. And come join us next week where uh, maybe we'll make it. Maybe. We'll f- you'll, you'll have to tune in to find out. Peace. <laughs>